This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On this episode of the Heat Check, my lord, the playoffs are going fast. The East and the West are set for the conference finals after two very anticlimactic Game 7s. Blowouts that sent both teams that went to the finals last year to Cancun. One, two, three, Cancun! We get into some shocking aftermath in Philly and Phoenix. Talk about Pat Beverly killing CP3 on national television this morning. And the ominous signs for Fatty. I mean, Zion in New Orleans. Cut that out. Cut that out. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. The Final Four gives us the Mavs versus the Warriors and the Heat versus the Celtics. So let's break down these series and we'll do a few listener questions as well. So much happening as always, across the association. So do me a favor, bro. And drop that mother Alright, let's get into some news around the NBA really quickly. Uh, before we get into what happened uh, in the Suns versus Mavs series and the Bucks versus Celtics series. Just really quickly want to just clean some things up. Uh, we never talked about the fact that the Sixers uh, went home. And uh, boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy, were the post-game comments by Doc Rivers a sight to behold. The Sixers home again before the conference finals once again. For context, for folks who aren't paying attention to the history of this, the last time Philly won a second-round series was when Allen Iverson did the step over Ty Lue in 2001. That is 21 years ago. That's how long it's been since Philly has done anything of note in the playoffs. Nobody has disappointed more in the NBA in the last 20 years than the Philadelphia 76ers. I I mean, even the Lakers. I can't think of any team that's had as many expectations but has performed as poorly under the big lights. Turn them lights down! Turn those lights down! As Philly has. Since 2001, this team has been bounced in the first round or second round 12 times, including four times in the past five years. Jesus Christ, that's horrible. No finals appearances in two decades, no titles in 38 years. Since the Sixers made it past the second round, there's been 18 different NBA teams that have made the finals. And not you, Philly. And not you. Gross. And yet, this is the thing that kills me. This is the one of the reasons of many that I can't stand Sixer fans, like these version of Sixer fans. Like, if you talk to Sixer fans, they'll come at you like they have 27 rings. They've got all of the annoying swagger of Golden State Warriors fans without any of the corresponding recent success. F*** you, Philly. You would think Dr. J had been like a recent phenomenon, how these Sixers fans, how these Sixers media, or at least some of them act. This is a train wreck of a franchise, and they have nowhere to go from here. And now they have to wrestle with the idea, the notion of signing James Harden, with the notion of whether they bring back Doc Rivers, rolling that ass back out there doing nonsense. Who? Who wants to run it back with Doc Rivers? Get out of here. Why do I not like... And Doc Rivers is a fine person. Like, I... If Doc Rivers, God forbid, was to hear this, I want to preface this by saying, like, I like him as a human being. He's a nice guy, has a good golf swing. He uses it a lot. Doesn't use it a lot in June. Just want to say. 
Nothing, though, is ever Doc Rivers' fault. You get coaches, when they get bounced, they're like, listen, we weren't ready to go, and that's on me. Monty Williams was out there saying that the Suns lost because I didn't have them prepared. That's my fault. At the end of the day, it all when it all comes down, it falls on me. Doc, Doc never thinks anything's his fault. It's everyone's fault. It's all it falls on all of us. Doc, yes, it's a team game. But at the end of the day, you're the f- man. You're the leader of the platoon. You are the guy on the front lines. The first person in the firing squad is and only will be you. No matter if it's your fault, no matter if your point guard passed up an open layup or not, falls on you, sir. And the fact that you... Another thing that I don't like, the side road, it's like Doc Rivers is just learning about how bad his reputation is around the NBA. It's like he just stumbled upon Twitter... And how everyone thinks about him as being a bad coach. It's like he's just now annoyed to the point where he's addressing these things we've been talking about for five years. Doc Rivers, do you know that you've blown like 11 straight game sevens? Like something crazy, 11 elimination games? Like you didn't know that we've been talking about this? We've been killing you online since you were in Los Angeles, sir. We've been killing you since you got one ring in Boston, sir. It's been a minute. And when he found out about this, he's like, oh, yeah, you see, I mean, Orlando, did you see Orlando's roster? Dog, you are getting killed. This is not new. And yet, for some reason, Doc Rivers doesn't believe that this is a results-based business. I try really hard. Nobody's more confident. Yeah, yeah, he said, I try really hard, guys. Me too, me too. Like, sometimes, though, you're just out over your skis, my man. And nobody feels more confident somehow, some way in his job security than Doc Rivers in his measly one ring. Despite so many of the problems that this team that has fallen on Doc Rivers' shoulders, I don't know. Like blowing up players, throwing them under the bus, making them never want to come back to your franchise after a series ends. Like deciding to play Joel Embiid with a torn thumb in a fourth quarter up 30 to the Toronto Raptors in a closeout game. In the waning moments, like constantly deflecting blame even when things are very clearly Doc Rivers' fault. Here is what Doc Rivers had to say. After the series ended, it's unreal. I don't worry about my job, Howard. I think I do a, a terrific job, and if you don't, then you should write it. Because I worked my butt off to get this team here. When I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. Uh, and again this year, the same thing. So if that's how anyone feels, write it, and I, I'm going to feel secure about it. The results-based business. And that's it is, I but is. you don't do it every year. Uh, every time you're wrong, should you lose your job? No. So uh, it's the same thing, all right? But it, listen, if you believe that, then go with it. I know how I know what I did this year, and I feel very good about that. But again, if you believe that, Howard, then you just run with it. Did you, to be clear, you put on the end. To be clear, you plan on still opting into your I'll, I'll be here. Yeah, I'll be here. Whatever makes this team, you know, um, whatever can, allows this team to continue to grow and get better and, and do the things necessary to, to, to win and compete at the highest level. James, you said the ball didn't get to you. Does the coach call plays to try to get the ball to you? Nice question. He also said in the middle of that game, Seven, I realized the Miami Heat were just a better team than us. What? Excuse me? I do a really good job. I try really hard. This clip, by the way, is amazing. Why is it amazing? Because there's a little bit of Odyssey, Intercom, radio, inside the company history here. My man Howard Eskin is the one asking Doc Rivers the question. Howard Eskin, 70-plus years old, been covering the Philadelphia 76ers as a staple for a very long time, also happens to be the father of WFAN program manager Spike Eskin, and nobody gets under Doc Rivers' skin more 
than Howard Eskin. Howie won't even refer to Doc as Doc. He calls him Glenn. He refuses to say the word Doc Rivers because there's only one Doc in Philadelphia, and that's Dr. J. Holy. And, and Spike, his son, told me, you can feel when Howard's about to, my dad's about to ask a question to a coach because all of the life drains out of their face before he even asks said question. The only thing left that Doc has is the fact that Daryl Morey doesn't want to fire outwardly. Listen, Daryl Morey doesn't want Doc Rivers on this as his coach. We know that. We know who Daryl Morey wants. It's not a secret. He wants Mike D'Antoni. Embiid wants Mike D'Antoni. James Harden wants Mike D'Antoni. Is Mike D'Antoni the right fit? I don't f***ing know. Probably not. But we know for a fact that Daryl Morey and the rest of the squad is not rolling with Doc Rivers. But Daryl Morey's like, I can't fire him right now. because. But Daryl Morey says he's going to keep Doc Rivers. The Doc Rivers is a long-term coach for the for the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you believe that, given what we've heard and what we know about Daryl Morey, who is a fucking liar, I have some beachfront property in Montana to sell you. I do. This is what, re- to recap, Morey said. He's a great coach. I love working with him. I feel like I'm learning from him. I think Elton Brand and I make a very good team. We're going to see where this journey takes us. But we feel very good about where it's going to take us. It's going to be where we have a very good chance to win a title. Pause, and that's a lie. People in the know think Doc Rivers is headed to the Lakers because why? Doc Rivers loves nothing more than sunny weather and good golf courses, and Philadelphia has neither. And the Sixers are only waiting around because they want to figure out a way to finagle the Lakers to give them something back to get rid of a guy they already want to get rid of. They want the good old Doc Rivers gets traded from Boston to L.A. thing. Like, just do it again. Let's just do it again 16 years later, folks. The problem is that the Lakers have almost no trade assets to move. To add insult to injury, Ime Udoka is the third coach to leave the Philadelphia 76ers as an assistant coach since 2016 and make the conference finals in his first two years as a head coach. Yikes. That's Mike D'Antoni. That's Ime Udoka, and that's Monty Williams. Will Doc be back in Philly? I fucking hope not. Don't bet on it. But what's that old saying? Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, thinking the results are going to be different. We know this Philadelphia fan base is insane. If they bring back Doc Rivers and they do a long-term contract extension on a max deal with James Harden, the city will go up in flames. Like, the what is it, the Joker? And here we go. Uh, been a while, really quick, uh, since we talked about what's happening in New Orleans. Turns out the issues that I talked about a month ago, about the fact that the Pelicans have a hard decision to make in terms of Zion's contract status, coming to a head. David Griffin made some new comments that should make Zion and his camp very concerned. He said, obviously, that conversation, the contract conversation about Zion and the Max, is going to be one that will be a challenge. When it's time to have that conversation, we'll have it. But right now, all we're focused on is Zion being healthy and in being in kind of elite condition to play basketball and we will start there. They're not going to have conversations with Zion about a max contract until he's completely healthy and in in-game shape. Elite condition to play basketball. Tell me, folks, do you think Zion Williamson is getting into elite condition to play basketball? Excuse me. We already know a challenge He's already letting the fan base know this is not going to be an easy situation, and we know because Zion is represented by Clutch, a.k.a. Rich Paul, and that is going to be even worse. 
It's interesting that that's the first thing he said. It's going to be tough to have this conversation. If you Let me ask you this. If your contract as an employee is up, it's coming up, and your employer says, this contract conversation is going to be a challenge, what are you thinking? Your sphincter tightens up so f- quick you jump out of your chair like, oh, my God. Elite playing condition. That is a warning shot and an insight into how the Pell's front office is going to approach these negotiations, which are going to be hardball. The Pelicans want to have safeguards against Zion Williamson getting injured again. They want to have safeguards against Zion Williams missing a bunch of games, protections against a contract tied uh, uh, to the amount of games that he played, weight clauses before backing up that Brinks truck. All of those things could null out the contract completely if Zion stays fat. Worst case scenario for Zion, who has been long rumored to balk at things like off-season conditioning and dietary guidance. I want my beignets, baby. The difference between now and six months ago is that the Pels are good. They're an exciting team. They don't need Zion. They can sell tickets without Zion. That place is called the Blender. The Smoothie King is now raucous. We've got Grand Theft Alvarado, Herb Jones, Spicy, CJ McCollum, B.I. We don't need a fat boy who can't stay in condition. The path forward without Zion might be easier for the path than the path with him. And that is a sad situation because Zion Williamson, when healthy, is electric. Negotiations are going to be contentious. And Zion might even be the very first player to ever turn down a rookie max deal because of all of the ties that and caveats that could go along with it, all the riders, as they say. And there's a chance he might not even get offered the rookie max deal, which would also be something historic. Hence the reason Zion said, I couldn't sign that max deal fast enough because he knows his value is plummeting given how good the Pelicans are now without him. If Zion keeps this up and his beignet diet up, it's going to be Patrick Beverly is now uh, the new the new wave. He's like Draymond Green uh, without a regulator, a governor, so we say, like somebody who's just petty as fuck and is going to say any wild thing that he thinks on national television. So let's recap this 24 hours that he's had. Before the Suns collapse, Patrick Beverly predicted a Mavs victory and then tweeted out the following. Y'all stay locked in. Let's see who pulls the fake hurt move down a dub. That, folks, is a world-class shot at Chris Paul. And just like clockwork, Chris Paul limped off the court following the single worst performance, not just of the playoffs, but his entire career. He was a negative 39, and Pat Bev jumped all over him again when someone tweeted a video of CP3, which Mark Spears reported was a quad injury. Pat Bev then quote tweeted it and said, stay woke with the face palm emoji. And that was just the beginning. Pat Bev then went on get up, first take, absolutely ethered Chris Paul. He said so many funny and slanderous things that it's almost impossible to know where to begin. Here are the highlights. He started by going in on Chris Paul's lack of defense. There ain't nobody worried about Chris Paul and Perry Finn Sons. Nobody in the NBA. But what did I just say, though? And I'm just letting you know how NBA players feel. I, I, be- I believe you, but what I'm saying he's is... He's finessed the game to a point where he's, he, he gets all the petty calls, all the swipe throughs at the end. I mean, this guy is out, man. We're going to be honest? You want to be really honest? Yes. He should have fouled out. He's so petty. Game, he's so mad. You see the replay against Bronson. Hit him on the shoulder. Hit him in the mouth. Ref don't call anything. If that's me, oh, review it. Oh, flagrant one. If that's him, they don't call it. So let's not get it twisted, man. He should have fouled out. He can't guard. He literally can't guard. He can't guard. He can't guard. He can't guard. Chris Paul can't guard anybody? Is that what you say? Nine-time all-defensive player, Chris Paul? I don't know that. I haven't heard anybody tell me that. Yeah, because you haven't suited up. You know, guys don't like to tell you all the truth. You know that. Because they scared. They scared. They scared what you're going to take with it. No, 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 no. He's right about that. They will will lie. He's honest. They will lie. That is true. He's not lying about that. Man, CP can't guard nobody, man. Everybody in the NBA knows that. 
Okay, let's face it. Cone? Wait, he called him a cone, too. Where's that at? Everybody you can't call that. anybody. What we, like when, in the summertime, you got cones. You know what you do with cones? Everybody you can't knows call that. anybody. What we call them? Cone. You know what you do with cones? Like when in the summertime, you got a cone. You make a move. What does the cone do? Stay still. Exactly. He's a cone. Stop playing, man. Everybody that knows right. that. Everyone knows that. It's just y'all don't want to accept it. because no, I don't accept people. that. I shoot over him, obviously. That's but an give issue. him the but Ben Simmons slander. Give him the PG-13 slander. Give him the slander that you give everybody. Then, he called it a cone. That might be the most disrespectful thing anybody could call anybody. An immobile piece of plastic and rubber on the floor whose sole purpose is to be an inanimate obstruction that you can easily move around for gameplay. That's, that's what he called Chris Paul, a cone. No, said nobody worries about Chris Paul guarding them. That's false. Then he explains the difference between someone like Steph Curry and Chris Paul. It gets even worse. It gets even worse, folks. NBA, go to sleep. Do guys in the NBA go to sleep early the night before playing the Phoenix Suns? Hell no. No. You mean as a team or would you talk about Chris Paul in division? Chris Paul in division. Okay. No. I'm going to Stake 44 over there in Phoenix. I'm mm. going to have me a nice little wine, probably sweat it out, and uh, the pregame shoot around and get ready for Chris Paul. Steph Curry, I'm going, I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock. Mom, don't call me. My girl, don't call me. I don't, I'm, I'm locked in right now. It's not. It's, it's, it's two different monsters. That's all. Do- Jesus, I don't even know what to say. Why is Patrick Beverly coming after Chris Paul? You might ask. When did they become having beef? First and foremost, it goes back to the trade between Houston Rockets and the L.A. Clippers. Pat Bev was in Houston. He was doing a little thing with James Harden. They were making a little run, and then Pat Bev got traded to L.A. for Chris Paul. And then Chris Paul apparently was talking all kinds of shit to Pat Bev. And the way that social media is reacting, it's clear that the Suns have talked a ton of shit to Pat Bev over the last couple of seasons. And a lot of people, and probably not just to Pat Bev, but to the entire league. As they came up so fast, they started talking like they were preordained like the Golden State Warriors do. And there are plenty of people that are just reveling in their loss. Safe to say, two things are going to emerge from Patrick Beverly versus Chris Paul. There's now going to be big-time beef between the Suns and the Wolves. And ESPN just found its next Draymond Green. J.J. Redick and Bev together? More of that, please. (laughs) Sit down. Be humble. And they are. They are sitting down. They are going home. The Phoenix Suns. I have doubts, folks. All my t-shirts that say Suns and Four, I don't know I can wear them anymore right now. I think they stay in the closet. I think they stay in the drawers. Honestly, I don't even know how to break this down, folks. I am stunned. I think the collective NBA community is stunned. You're talking about a number one C getting its ass kicked. Just a comprehensive embarrassment and emasculation it's a go run and hide hide your kids hide your wives they raping everybody up in there like they pillaged they were Genghis Kong they did things that we can't even speak about out loud put their on their shoulders I tell you what it was obscene I mean this could have demolished an entire franchise before their window even got set. DeAndre Ayton's in the middle of a max contract extension conversation, and now who knows what's going to happen with that. I think if the Mavs would have won this in a close game, maybe nobody even blinks. They're like, oh, Luka's on another planet. But they were down 30 points at halftime. They got outscored as a team by Luka himself in the first half. They had 27 points, and Luka had 27 points. They had 27 points and a half. That is, that is obscene. I want to say the, the Suns had one of the best offensive ratings in the league this year. What happened at the halftime speech? Because they came out of halftime and gave up an 8-0 run to the Mavs. Just no urgency. How does this happen? You had CP3 book an 8-1 for 15. One for 15 in the first half. To me, that seems impossible. How do I process it? I don't even know. What's, what's fascinating 
to me about this is that the Suns created a roster to do every in the offseason to do everything that they could to stop Giannis from doing Giannis things. And they didn't even realize they had to get there. They just forgot that there's an entire whole gauntlet of teams that play in different ways you have to game plan for to get there as well. It was like they just thought they were just going to just take a take a shuttle to the finals. Just whoop, everything else just good. I, I the Bucks get shot down by the Celtics and get their own doors blown out by the Mavs by keeping things the same and not having flexibility themselves like with PJ Tucker. Get rid of guys, you look over guys, you get an injury, Chris Middleton out and night night. Did they look past the Mavs? A lot of people think that they just look past them. I don't think it's just that simple. Because you look at the way that the the roster is constructed, and I thought that they could have been built to beat anyone. I thought that they had enough 3 and D guys on the wings that they could win any series. They had multiple three-point shooters. Torrey Craig shoots 33%. Jay Crowder shoots 35% from three. Cam Johnson shoots 39% from three. Mikael Bridges 37% from three. And they were just too busy getting their bigs in order and their house clean in that front court. What if they neutralize our bigs? Aiton doesn't shoot threes in the way that Nick Batum does, like the Clippers. Reggie uh, Bullock, Bullock, as they say. Maxi Kleba. They just didn't fix the matchups. Trying to dissect this loss is wild because it makes you realize that the game is just changing right before our eyes without us being able to even process and and write about and analyze what we're experiencing. Ty Lu changed the game in that Utah Jazz series in a way that now has set a blueprint for other teams to replicate. It's called, as John Hollinger would call it, this new term that I'd never heard before today, which is called space ball. Never heard of it before today. It's a good, really good term. Basically, the L.A. Clippers and Ty Lue ran five small three-point shooters, smaller three-point shooters, but big enough that they can defend anyone against the Jazz and ran them off the court on the perimeter. They're switching everything. They all can shoot threes, and now Rudy Gobert is completely useless. The Clippers also did the same thing to the Suns last year and almost won that series. It was closer than we remember. And that should have been a warning shot that the Suns were very vulnerable. There's now a new villain in town and is now the small ball 3 and D lineup. Not quite small as the Warriors go. It's like the 6 8 6 9 3 and D. I mean, that's potent. What one loss can do to a franchise. With one series blow, now reports are that Aiton, he's out of there. He didn't even want to go back into the game. He told them no, I'm hearing. And then they asked Monty Williams, what's up with that? And he's like, it's internal. It's internal? Excuse me? Does that mean he was like, deuces, I'm out of here. You guys are on some bull. Monty never seems to get upset about Aiton. And now he's harshly being like, it's internal. Phoenix now has a huge decision to make. Do they pay Aiton? They've got rights to Aiton. Aiton can't go anywhere if he doesn't, if they don't want him to. They can match any offer that anybody puts out as a restricted free agent. That's how it go. Do they let him walk? Do they do a sign and trade? Do they lean into the smaller lineup? Guys on TNT made a very interesting point. They said what Phoenix really lacked was a reliable third option on the court, a guy who could get you a bucket when Book was double teamed and CP3 is either hampered or blitzed or cold. I thought that that could be Cam Johnson or Campaign or Mikhail Bridges, and it's basically neither. The other thing that was brought up is that they really miss Dario Saric, who can stretch the floor, but he's still coming off of an ACL tear. He's still in contract. Perfect wing who can also play the center, who can hit a three. But to me, 
what I feel happened the most when you kind of process it in real time is that Monty Williams got out coached. He didn't do fucking a thing to change the way that it needed to go. Like, tell me this. Do you think that playing Jay Crowder at the small five, Mikel Bridges at the four, Cam Johnson at the three, Book at the two, and CP3 at the one seems to maybe do the same thing as what the Mavs were trying to do? Kind of feels like that to me. Cause a ton of problems for opposing teams, but somehow Monty Williams just let Jason Kidd dictate everything. And then say, well, you know what? We're just going to continue to do the same thing over and over again. We're going to run pick and roll with DA. DA's getting cooked out there. DA's frustrated. He's not aggressive enough. Then DA's like, fuck it. I'm out of here. You guys haven't paid me. Robert Sarver's probably going to be forced to sell the team. This place is bullshit. It's just a team that was just a tad bit too cocky, feeling themselves. They built a team to beat the Bucks without realizing they got to beat a lot of good teams. They have a lot of lineup flexibility, and you got to get there. Grizz play like that space ball. You got the Mavs doing it. You got the Clippers doing it. And now they're going to have to deal with the Nuggets trying to do the same thing as well with Jokic at, on the perimeter. Four good teams that can play like that. Not even taking into account the Warriors that are there doing that same thing as well to a lesser degree. So what's the future in Phoenix? I think it's very murky. I think Aiton is gone. And I don't even know what they do if that happens. Like, find ways to get guys involved on the perimeter. I don't know. Reggie Bullock was a huge signing. Spencer Dinwiddie was out there. You could have gotten him. Big 6'5 guard who can defend, who can shoot threes off the bench. Monty Williams should have benched EA. If that was Ty Lue, that's what he would have done. Nobody is immune. Chris Paul might have been benched if that was Ty Lue. Nobody is immune. It's matchup-based. It's not merit-based. It's matchup-based. It's not what have you done in the last 60 games. It's what have you done right now. And a week ago, the craziest thing is I never even thought we would have this discussion. I thought that the Suns were the favorite. I think everybody else did too. They overperformed expectations last year thought that they should be able to surpass these expectations from basically overperforming this year without noting that a lot of things broke their way last year to get them there. The league changing right before our eyes, and I think it's going to be very, very chaotic this offseason with Robert Sarver needing to probably sell the team, a buyer not wanting to be in the luxury tax when they buy a team or buy an asset. And then, where do you go? Because I pump things like that jack on an off the track. I'm heavy cuz, ball to your fault as you conduct to the Fetty Gov. Sorry, my love, but I'm seeing through these eyes. Benz convoys with the wagon on the side. Only big boys keep deuces on the ride. Gucci Chuck Taylor with the dragon on the side. Man, I'm a Celtics hater. I've been accused of it. But damn, do they look good. But Ime Udoka looks like he should have won Coach of the Year. Guys who were just useless are incredibly useful now, like Grant Williams, Al Horford coming out of the grave, showing up, scoring 30. Grant Williams hit three, seven threes in Game 7 against the defending champs. I'm not sure he had seven threes all year last year. Like he was basically a random role player with Aaron Neesmith. Him and Aaron Neesmith were on the same level. And yes, I know the Bucks were missing Chris Middleton, but I don't even know if it would have mattered that much. The Celtics were missing Time Lord most of the time. They missed Marcus Smart for a game that they won. The Celtics just went out there and out-schemed Bud. Bud is trash, isn't he? He is a trash, 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 trash coach. And because he won it all, he gets to stick around. We're talking space ball again, folks. Lots of length. Grant Williams, who can shoot the three, he can space the floor, he can defend. He's got a booty, he's got quads, he's got hammies, and he can defend Giannis. Al Horford doing the same damn thing. You can't move me off my spot, Giannis. I can bam on you too. He can shoot threes as well. Like I said, he had 30 points on the road in game four. Emay just coaching his ass off. The teams that win without good coaching, looking at you, Bucks, there's teams like them. And then there's teams that 
had elite roster that nobody could figure out how to use like the Celtics. Brad Stevens very clearly didn't know what he was doing because this is a team that now feels like it's going to win it all, and the roster's largely the same from last year. Celtics were 20, 20, 25 and 25 this year. This year, 25 and 25, 500, squabbling, people calling each other out in public, Ime Udoka saying they're soft, saying they don't pass the ball, saying they're whack. Just literally being like, holy, he is ripping them up. Marcus Smart saying Jalen Brown doesn't pass anybody the ball. They lo- they're losing big leads after big leads. Last year, I think they gave up like 17 fourth quarter leads that were over 10 points. Now they're the most dangerous team in basketball that you feel like even if they're down 10, they can win games. And the funny thing about the Game 7 is that Ime and Jason Kidd both ran circles around Monty Williams and Mike Budenholzer, who both were in the finals last year. Really quickly about Bud. What were you doing putting Grayson Allen and George Hill out there? Like, everyone on Twitter. This is like so many dumb people on Twitter, but everyone agrees that 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 was indefensible. Like, you need to be... You need to be Cersei in Game of Thrones, like where we cut all your hair off and we make you walk naked through the street where we say, shame, shame. Like that's what Bud did. Like that's what you need to do. We need to get you down to the Deer Park and we need to like treat you like a handmaid. You know what I mean? And for Monty, you can't fall behind by 30 without making radical changes. You just like, I don't even know. The coaching, the people tell me the coaching doesn't matter in the NBA, like, where are you now? Where are you now? Coaching is important. And the Celtics are now dangerous because they've got a good coach. Quick little preview before we go of the two conference final series. Let's go to the East first. Boston versus Miami. <sighs> this is why I think Boston can win it all. Just a battle of very, very good defenses really, really going to be a tough matchup on Bam Adebayo. You see what they did to Rob, Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams. Rob, Robin Thicke? Nope, not Robin Thicke. Robin, nope, not even Robin. Brooke Lopez. You, they're get, P.J. Tucker's going to have to play small ball. He's going to have to play the five. He's going to have to shoot threes. He's going to have to defend everyone. Jimmy Butler, obviously, is a good defender, but they have nobody down the stretch who can get you an ISO basketball, whereas the Boston Celtics feel like they've got a few. They've got Tatum. They've got Brown. They even have Marcus Smart a little bit who's doing it, too. I think it's going to be a very difficult series for the Heat. I mean, the Celtics found a way to to neutralize and shut down Kyrie and KD, two of the most prolific scorers of all time. Then they... Didn't shut them down, but they found a way to significantly limit Giannis in many games. Not every game, but many games. I think he had three games under 30. And Miami is nowhere even close offensively to those two teams. Like, who is the best scorer on the Miami Heat? Is it Tyler Hero? Is it Jimmy Butler? That goes not even the same planet. As Giannis, KD, and Kyrie. Not even the same stratosphere. It's going to be trouble, trouble, trouble. Kyle Lowry's nowhere to be found. Tyler Hero's been up and down. Duncan Robinson's on a milk cart and can't play defense. Jimmy Butler, yeah, he he had two 40-point games, but, like, we know what it's like when you just defend him like crazy. We know what he's like in the fourth. I promise you, folks, prediction time. Jimmy Butler's going to have some late-game situations where he's going to have the ball, and I tell you, it's not going to go in. The ball is not going in. The Heat are going to also make it tough on the Boston Celtics with their defense, but I tell you what, these guys are sharing the ball really well. Like, Jason Tatum might be unguardable right now. 6'10", 6'11". Just, I don't think he hit the rim in the last two games of that series. It was just, shh, 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 just all net. Things, you see him, he's shooting from 30, and you're like, yep, that's in. That's going in. He's just shooting over everyone. He's doing what Kevin Durant does. No one can stop him. And I like Boston's chances with Tatum and Brown and Smart and Horford and Grant Williams over the Heat's options in, in Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler 
and Gabe Vincent. I think Boston in six. It might not even go that far, honestly. It might not even get to six. Out west, let's go out west. This one's fun. This one's super fun. Mavs facing the Warriors. Normally, you see a game seven that leaves the winning teams just completely gassed for game one. No, sir. No, sir. Uh, Luka didn't even play in the third and fourth quarter of that last game seven. Mavs basically had an off day. They were done. That was like a scrimmage. That was a walkthrough. Game seven. The game was so out of reach. They were up. I didn't even say this. They were up 45 points at one point. They were up almost almost a 50-piece on the a team that just went to the finals. Everything that the Mavs did to Utah and Phoenix is something I think they're going to try to do again against Golden State. I think it's going to be a war of small ball. I think it's going to be Luka bullying people. I don't know who's guarding Luka. That's going to be fascinating. Who will it be? Is that Clay? Is it going to be Draymond? How? What are they going to do, try to do to Luka? We heard also Jay Kidd is now challenging Luka to be not a defensive liability and try to be as close to LeBron James as a player as he can. That is terrifying. Luka can score in ways that Steph can't which we'll talk about in a different episode because I've got so much to say about the point guard position, it's not even funny. But I don't have time for this right now. Luka probably has a better outside shot than almost anyone but Steph right now. Definitely a better outside shot than than Chris Paul, better outside shot than Ja. Like, Ja Morant doesn't have the type of outside shot that Luka does. The perimeter offense of the Mavs is much better in the half court than the Memphis is. This is a team. Memphis was a team that they probably should have put the bet, put uh, Golden State to bed in five. So there's a lot of people saying Golden State's going to have it easy. There's not going to be easy, folks. The big thing I think that Golden State has going for them is not only do they have championship pedigree and experience, they've been there before. They've got three guys that are very, very connected in Clay, Draymond, and Steph. They also have another score in, in Jordan Poole. And also, by the way, we need to just quickly discuss it because I didn't. Andrew Wiggins played the best basketball of his life. I've never seen, like, playoff Wiggins is the stuff of legends. It's just bricks on bricks on bricks on bricks. And he hit every clutch shot in game six against the Grizzlies. I don't even know what to say. RIP to the Grizzlies, such a fun team. Going to be a game of streaks, going to be a game of runs. Both teams play elite defense. Probably going to be a game of unders, truthfully. But also they can score so fast, so I don't even know if you touch it. My prediction, oh, because I have to do it. I have to do it, Mavs and Seven. He's a starter in the NBA. Can you build a winning team around Tyus Jones? Tyus Jones says he's six feet, but he's probably 5'11". Like, let's be honest. Um, so Tyus Jones says he wants to be a starter, which means he's probably gone from Memphis because Jaws the starter, right? Um, he averaged 9-2-4. and four. In about 20 minutes per game, we gave him love all throughout this season. He's got the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the NBA. Best protector of the ball in the league, which means a ton in the playoffs. Uh, when Jaw went out, he averaged 16-6-7 and seven in 34 minutes and averaged just one turnover per game in that time. Pretty insane, considering how good Golden State's defense is. So... Yeah, I think he's a starter. Can you build a championship roster around a guy like that? You're going to need a lot of good wings. You're going to need, in this new quote-unquote space ball evolution that we're getting, you're going to need guys who can shoot threes, who can defend, who are 6'7". You need a 6-5 shooting guard. You need a 6-7-3. You need a 6-8-6-9-4. And you need a 6-10-6-11-5 and probably a 7-footer. 
just to kind of space things out. That's Does he go to the Knicks? What do they need to do? They've got Mitchell Robinson out there. My guess is no, but I really like Tyus Jones. I don't even know what to make of this new, these new styles of the NBA that's evolving throughout, like minute to minute. This is, this is what we call a developing situation. So my first gut instinct is no. Looking back, who was the worst free agent signing of the 2021 season? Man, there's been some. I mean, the best one that comes to mind is probably Fournier. Fournier. Four years, $78 million? Good. Bo- I mean, Boston just dodged a bullet. Didn't they have to give a lot away for Evan, too? Like, they got a TPE exception, but, like, I think they gave up multiple picks for Evan Fournier? Let me see real quick, because I-, I said this is cold. This is me cold. Yeah, two... Celtics send Knicks two draft picks in Evan Fournier sign and trade. Yeesh! Yuck! Yucky! Um, so that's bad. The Knicks knew, they knew when they chose Evan Fournier over Reggie Bullock, that was a bad, I mean, pretty fast. He was a huge disappointment. He doesn't play any f- defense. He's so streaky. The only time he's elite is in the, in the Olympics. In France, not even in like, it's like Rudy Gobert and him. Come on. Kemba Walker, really bad too. Two years, 18 million, that was destined. I mean, both Knicks signings. Ugh. Tibbs never wanted him. He's not healthy. He just doesn't play defense. He's a negative a million when he's on the court. God, I love Kemba too. And it's like I love Kemba, but he's a shell. That was bad. Taylor Horton Tucker, pretty bad, too. Three years, $30 million. Ugh, he could have had Kyle Lowry, which, by the way, probably not good now in hindsight. I don't even know. Man. They turned down Kenrick Williams and Mike Muscala. I mean, just, ugh. Duncan Robinson, five years, $90 million. No playing time now. Five years, $90 million. Could I get some of that? Like, I want to be able to get paid $90 million to do nothing. Like, to just go to practice. Like, I would do prep. I would create research documents for the league. Like, do stuff, you know? Like, hey, Tyler Hero, this is your assignment. Like, there's some film for you. Like, let me pl- play in the, like, scout team. I would do scout team for $90 million. Hands down, the worst money spent in the offseason. Jesus Christ. <sighs> Zach Collins, three years, $22.5 million. I could have told the Spurs that wasn't going to work. But any Blazer fan knew that wasn't going to work. This guy is nobody. God, the Spurs are having a bad bad couple of years. Josh Primo, what a f- scrub at 12. That, that's just a ricochet shot. It has nothing to do with the free agent signings. Moving on, next contract, next question. Marcus Smart recently said, We go as I go. Are you serious? This is a real quote. I'm the heart and soul of the team. My teammates tell me that all the time. I try to be that for them. The energy I bring is contagious. I try to bring that every game. Are you ready, Trista, to admit you're wrong about Marcus Smart? Wow. Ah, God, I just don't want to. I really don't want to. Yes, I guess I am. I guess I am. The I I didn't know that the Green Lantern was the review in 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 Boston, but I think that's a f- sick nickname for Marcus Smart. Now I think we need to call him the Green Lantern, the super villain. Wasn't the Green Lantern a villain? Good guy, good guy. He's a super superhero. He played what? What is his name? Um, he was in DC, right? Ryan Reynolds played him. I think Marcus Smart would, with his green hair, would be a tremendous Green Lantern. Like, what a name for someone who's the heart and the soul. I light up this place. So I'm deflecting. The answer is, I guess. I guess. I hate it. This is one of those times where it just feels like the take went so wrong. 
He's a chucker, though, though, isn't he? Like, and a flopper. But it's true. The team feeds off of him, and they are about to win a championship with Marcus Smart as their point guard, and he's not even, like, a true point guard. So good for him. Yes, TikTok. Yes, Twitter. I was wrong. I was wrong about Marcus Smart, and I won't ever say it again. So this is the last time that I'm going to bring this up. You guys don't get in my mentions again. All right. That's all the time that we have for this heat check, whatever. So that's all the time. We'll be back whenever. This uh, That question sucked. That was a terrible question. Whoever wrote that, I don't even know where you found that quote. Seems like fake news to me. Anyway, we'll be back probably Wednesday or Thursday. Follow us on TikTok at This Heat Check and, you know, all the places. Trista Crick, Trista underscore Crick, T-R-Y-S-T-A. Ugh. All right, we'll see you guys. We'll see you. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.